Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. One of a kind opinions, big name guests, the teams you care about every 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 day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show. I'm your host, Ron Johnson. That's my producer, Sam Ekstrom. And on today's show, we're going to have John Krasinski. You know, the same one. The one that's going to tell us everything we need to know about the Wolves. Maybe a little bit of wild insight if he has any. And then, of course, we're going to have the Daily Three because why not? Three questions, three minutes. But at the top of the show, what I want to talk about today is the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves became internet fame i'd say if you want to call it that or internet famous infamous uh i'm not gonna say laughing stocks I, I think uh jj reddick put it best the city of minneapolis itself has been through a lot these players have been through a lot uh what i did not realize carl anthony towns um the the anniversary of losing his mom I think was either this week or the night of that game. Um, somebody tweeted that. I did not check to make sure that was correct. But even if it was in the vicinity of this game, um, that's a lot as well. And, and I don't think people understand that. I lost my father uh, a couple years ago, and it never really goes away. You know, as June gets closer um, and, and July comes around, I just have those memories. You know, I have the memories of, of, of what happened that day, the day I found out um, that I lost my dad. And so it, it was it was tough for me. It's still tough. And so if Cat was battling that, I pray um, that mentally he's okay. I pray that he gets uh, whatever support, which I'm guessing uh, one of the main reasons, maybe his wife was on the court. She knew what he was going through. Um, men are often treated like commodities when it comes to sports and, and warriors. And they're not thought of as human beings that have other issues outside of the sport you're watching and you want to report on. So there's so much more to this. Um, for Carl Anthony Towns to go down the way he did and, and, and not be able to finish the game out because of fouls, um, I think that was a huge downer to start. I think a lot of people assumed the way the score was going with Carl Anthony Towns out that they were just preparing to uh, go play the Pelicans. I think that's what, or the Spurs, but we know it's the Pelicans now. So I think a lot of people had all of that in their mind on that bench. And so to overcome it the way they did, for D'Angelo Russell to get hot the way he did, for Pat Beverly to kind of, you know, do the things he did, defensive plays, getting in guys' heads, uh, Paul George went off. But Ann Edwards and D'Angelo Russell with 30 and 29, they were able to keep it together. And so... People were saying they treated this like a Super Bowl win or they treated this uh, like they won the first uh, game in an elimination game of the Final Four or something or the the Sweet 16. Um, you know, I, I watched the Final Four and I watched the, the play-in games for that, the bubble games or the first four in, if they want to call it, or the last four in. Those guys celebrate too when they make it to the tournament, when they – beat you know the six in this or whatever the 11 seed they're fighting for the 11 seed those guys win they're they're excited they're ready to they're excited to move on to the next uh when guys make it to the sweet 16 they're excited to make it to the next and i think even myself you know i sat up that night as well and i was i was kind of laughing with everybody else but then I, I had to think like why like it's okay to celebrate the way they did i i i think that when you think about everything these guys have been through the heart 
uh, the the sweat, the tears, the blood. Uh, it, it's a huge moment. You know, when guys win playoff games in football to go to the next round, they run around and celebrate and run into the locker room and talk about what's up next. Maybe not Tom Brady, because when Tom Brady wins Super Bowls now after winning seven, it becomes uh, second nature to him. You know, other guys that win Super Bowls, they're splashing champagne, everything. Tom Brady's packing up and getting ready to go drink some tequila, um, some avocado tequila. Yes. But when you when you really think about what we witnessed, we just witnessed a bunch of young guys excited about where they are. I mean, you go from 23 wins to 46. I haven't looked that up or, or gone into my to, to the historical annals of, of sports history, but that's got to be one of the biggest one-year turnarounds for a team to double their win total and then make it to the playoffs. I mean, 23 wins, and then you go – people are like, oh, I think they can get, you know, 40 or, you know, maybe they'll get 35. They got 46 wins, now 47 because they're not counting the play-in as playoffs. That's counting – they're counting – I don't know what they're counting as. I don't know if they're going to count it as a regular season. They're going to count it as an asterisk, uh, but it's not playoffs – uh, but they won 46 games, now 47 to become the seventh seed. That's a huge accomplishment. So I'm with them on the celebration. I see nothing wrong with it. Just don't get burned out. Um, I like the fact that D'Angelo Russell said, uh, we're not excited about this. We were supposed to be here. We're supposed to be in the playoffs. I think that's coming back down to earth. You know, I, I, the question is posed, who's going to bring this team back down to earth? I think they did it themselves. You know, Pat Beverly's still out there having fun. He's an old dog. Um, when he's healthy, every team he's been on has made the playoffs. So he's just doing what Pat Beverly does, which is get on people's nerves. Uh, when you think at, think of D'Angelo Russell, he's ready for the playoffs now. He he knows, like, look, I, I can go. I know I can go. I, I've been a superstar. Um, now I have two other guys that if I know they're not going, they can trust me. And they also can say, hey, we don't have to force. Like, Cat doesn't have to force threes. I think that was the issue. Cat was forcing a lot of those threes because he wants to be called the biggest, the greatest shooter big man ever in history um but in my opinion i'm with it i think they were fine sam what are your thoughts i mean isn't the celebration ultimately a salute to the fans that were there because they're not celebrating like that in la they're not jumping on the clippers scores table they're they're probably not you know hugging a rod at center court in the clippers arena that was a salute to the fans that showed up all year, they bought into this team as the year went along, and they absolutely emptied the clip on, on Tuesday night. They were raucous. They gave that team energy, and they were feeding into that celebration. And, and Pat Beverly's jumping on the scores table. That's a direct salute to Kevin Garnett 18 years earlier. Um, he's not doing that on the road. He's doing that because he's in front of the fans that adored him and adored this team. Um, and those fans have been through turmoil for two decades. They've had one playoff team in 18 years, and it wasn't even that good. It was an eight seed, and it had Jimmy Butler, who ended up sort of betraying the team. So they, they really haven't had a team to grasp onto like this in almost two decades. So your celebration is sort of feeding off of what the fans gave you, and they gave you a lot. If no one showed up to that game, if they were sitting on their hands, there would not have been as much cause to celebrate. So that I think there was an equal reaction to what uh, the fans gave them in that game. I would have been worried if that celebration took place on Friday. Like if they had lost and had to play Friday, then celebrate like that, then travel to Phoenix, and then play two days later, that would have been hard, I think, emotionally to come back from. But they've got five days. 
from Tuesday to Saturday, they get to get ready for Memphis. I don't think that that uh, if they take a day to celebrate and then re refocus for four days and then play the Grizzlies, I mean, any team, young or old, should be okay with that kind of turnaround. Yeah, and I, and I think that's going to be the key is they're a young team, but the good thing is they're playing another young team. Um, when you look at the inexperience of the Grizzlies, you look at Ja Morant not playing the entire season due to injury um, or soreness, whatever you want to call it, but injury. The second half of the year. I think he played early on, I think. Yeah, he did. He played 57 games. Yeah. Um, but when you look at Ja Morant being out and the team doing well with him out, chemistry is huge, especially in the playoffs. And your mind can get thrown off. Like if you mentally are not where you think you should be, that's the good thing about the Timberwolves. They had to come back twice in this game. And so they know they can do it with or without Cat, with Cat, hopefully. But we're going to get more of that information when we come back on the Ron Johnson Show as John Krasinski. And now joining me on the Ron Johnson Show, as promised, John Krasinski. You know him. We all know him. He covers the Vikings when he gets a chance, but mainly Timberwolves and Wild. John, thanks for joining the Ron Johnson Show. And I'm going to jump right into this, John. Like, let's start off here first with Gluegate. What in the world was that lady thinking? Yeah, Ron, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life, man. I mean, we're in the middle of this super intense game. It's kind of like chaotic at the time because there's all these emotions involved and the Clippers and the Wolves are going at it. And it's late in the second quarter. And all of a sudden, and it, it, it happened kind of right in front of where we sit in the media area. And they're, they're shooting free throws on the other end of the court. And I see this woman kind of like walk out just barely onto the court and sort of like kneel down. And no one really knew what was going on at the time. I thought, Ron, that somehow, some way she had like fallen and hurt herself because she was really kind of crumpled up in this weird position. <laughs> and and you could see like everyone's looking around like, what is happening? And the, the, the security come onto the court, a couple of players go to check on her. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes kind of clear that she's glued her hand to the court as some sort of a protest about the treatment of animals on a Glenn Taylor farm in Iowa or something like this. And, yeah. and it was just so weird. And she clearly thought she was going to be there for a long time. And they just grabbed her, pulled her hand off the court and escorted her out of there. Um, but the, no one really kind of knew for about a good five or 10 minutes. And like, then you're starting to put things together. You read what her shirt says and all this. And, um, but yeah, it, it really like, it changed the whole atmosphere in the building for a good five or six minutes there. And I honestly think that helped the wolves. Uh, it, yeah. it just gave them, gave them a chance to catch their breath and calm down. And, and they got back into the game. So she wanted to mess things up for Glenn Taylor. She ended up helping her, helping him for a while. Thank you. I said that like the minute she did it after they start coming back, I tweeted that I'm like, this lady might have just helped them come back in the sec because I've looked at this series uh, now six games, but five games prior to the five games prior to this playing game, they had 
every team that was up in the first half won the game except for the one time where the Clippers found a way to come back from a 10-point deficit and win. So the Clippers had the edge 2-3. to three. And I said, whoever wins the first half is going to win this game. So when I turned on the game, I was nervous because when I turned it on, they were down. So as soon as I got home, turned it on as quick as I could, they were down. And so I was nervous because I'm like, they're down. And if they lose in the first half, it's only happened one time out of the five that they've been able uh, – the opposing team has been able to come back. So, yeah, I, I think she completely helped out. I think uh, – I don't think she thought it through. Like, she should have glued, put glue in her hand first and let it kind of dry like Gorilla Glue and then go to the court for the last-minute stick because she wasn't serious. I feel like it was a tantrum of a kid that throws a tantrum but really doesn't want to do anything bad. Like, kids know – like, if a kid really wanted to do something bad, they could break a window. They could throw glasses. They know what to do with a tantrum. Like, they know to cry just long enough or to stump just long enough before they really do something that they can't come back from. And I feel like that's – like, because in the end, honestly, like, if they had let her glue herself to the floor, like, what she would have had to do to get unglued, whether it's ripped skin off um, – like, she wasn't really – she used Elmer's probably washable <laughs> school glue – um, I, I just think it was all just for show. She wasn't really a diehard. Uh, she wasn't gonna, you know, chain herself to the to the rim and swallow the key. You, you know that that's that's we really are all about this life. Like if you chain yourself to the back to the uh, whatever the stanchion and swallow the key to the point where they have to go call you know, somebody to get the jaws of life in, and all of a sudden the Minneapolis Fire Department has to show up to cut her out, like. Then I'm like, okay, this lady's about this life. The Elmer's glue, I just think she was trying to help Pat Bev out. She's a Pat Bev fan. <laughs> you you even saw him go have a conversation with her. Like, I told you, it, it worked. It worked, thanks. <laughs> like, you gave us an extra time out. So, honestly, I'm looking forward to teams across the country or fans when their team is down now and refs aren't giving them calls to realize, like, I got to do something. Like, I got to run on the court butt naked. I got to I gotta do something. Um but but let's go let's go a step further. Lavelle E. Neal, he yeah. tweeted that the the Timberwolves are jokes. Basically, he was in agreement with Shaq and Barclays and their laughs and Kenny Smith about the Timberwolves celebration. After you think about the fact that this was potentially Carl Anthony Towns' anniversary of losing his mom, uh, you look at the way he fouled out. You look at the game he played. You look at the way Pat Beverly, D'Angelo Russell, and Ant uh, Edwards had to step up. And, and they, they went from 23 wins to 46 wins. They doubled their win total to make it to the playoffs. Are you for the celebration? Or are you against it as well? Where do you no, fall? I'm from the, I'm for the celebration, Ron. And, and just to be clear, you know, I cover the Wolves. And so some people say, oh, you're defending them. Like yeah. I've typically been for celebrations all of the time in sports. Sports okay. are supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy it. And here was my thing on it. And Lavelle's a great friend of mine. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we're, we're tight and stuff. But he seemed to be, uh, you know, I thought the TNT guys in general were kind of just poking fun. And it was yep. a little playful. I yep. thought Lavelle was a little more like really looking down his nose at it. And, oh, yeah. and, and a little and a, a curmudgeonly about it. And and for me, my here's my whole issue with it, Ron. Like all I, a, a lot of times what you hear, especially uh, from older people watching the NBA is the kids these days don't care about the game. It none, right. you know, none of this matters to them. Like back in the day, bird and magic, like they hated <laughs> each other. You know, Mikhail is clotheslining Kurt Rambis and 
like they really got after it and this was important now now they don't care about it well now here in this case like they cared about this like they it was clearly meant something to them and yeah it wasn't the championship but for an organization that has only been in the playoffs one time in the last 18 years before this like this was a big moment for them couple it with they were down 10 points in the fourth quarter without their best player who had mm-hmm. fallen out and they storm back to win the game. I mean, what, what do you expect them to do? Do you expect them to just shake hands and walk off the court? I mean, it was an insane environment. The, the, the whole place was absolutely rocking. And I think they got swept up in that as much as the fans got swept up in, in the game action itself. So uh, I was all for it. I thought it really just showed the passion of these guys and how much they really cared about winning that game, getting a matchup with Memphis that they like a lot more than Phoenix and not having to to go into a situation where you're playing on Friday night literally for your life. It's, a, it's in or out. Like This was the game that clearly the Wolves threw everything they had at it to try and win it. And then they won it in dramatic fashion. And so if you want to celebrate, if you want to have a good time, I say, go for it, man. You earned it. Yeah. And so when you think about Pat Beverly, even like the, my favorite quote of his, uh, he was getting interviewed on TV national show. And they said, at what point did you realize you were going to jump on the scores table? You know, five minutes left in the game, one minute left in the game, 10 seconds left. He said the night before. <laughs> and to me, that was the best thing ever. And he had a serious face because we know how he loves to like, even if he's joking, he's going to give you, you know, he's going to give you the Pat Bev treatment. And, you know, the guys on the panel are laughing at it and blah, blah. Dude was kind of low-key serious. Like, he really probably thought like, you know what? Like, I'm playing my old team. Um, I've seen, I mean, I've done that. When we play the Badgers and I know there's a chance we're going to win the Axe or we're playing, you know, the Hawkeyes and there's a chance we're going to win the Pig. I'm honestly kind of thinking about it in the hotel the night before. Like, you know, if it's this, if it's a close game and I catch a touchdown, am I going to run over and grab the Pig? What am I, gonna, I mean, I know one time I scored and I asked for a cheerleader's number. Like I've been <laughs> trying to find the clip. I, I found kind of a grainy clip. I think uh, Justin Guard uh, found one and tweeted it out. But. I've been trying to find a better, yeah, like I I just, you know, in my mind, I didn't, and that one was not a premeditated ask for your number. It was kind of a joke. Um, But then it's funny, people have showed me the clip now because the cheerleader kind of jumps up and down as if, I don't know if she was excited or she was like, what? I can't believe he just did that. But, you know, for Pat Bev to do what he did, um, one, I think it shows an older guy enjoying it, making it okay for the younger guys to realize it's okay to celebrate because they're watching the veterans. Like if he had just kind of chilled and walked, cause I, I looked at Anthony Edwards and if you watch it back, Anthony Edwards looks over at Pat Bev first before he jumps on the table. Like he, I don't think he would have done that. I think he was following suit. That's why when I watched it, like look at Anthony Edwards, he looks over at him and says, Oh, this dude's on the table. I'm getting on the table. And then he takes his, you know, shows his abs off and whatever. Like, I don't think Anthony Edwards knew that was coming. That was pure, I'm following big brother. I'm going to do what my big bro is doing. And I think the organic nature of that, of Pat Bev to be the leader in the celebration and D'Angelo Russell to then, you know, go over and do the same. Whereas Cat was more melancholy because we don't know what he was going through mentally, but also he's like, man, like I didn't, I don't know if I deserve to celebrate because we know how great players feel when they don't do well in moments. Like, I think he feels like he left, let his team down, and I hope that lights a fire. But in my opinion, 
the sixth seed was not the place you wanted to be. The seventh, um, even though it is a play-in spot, the seventh is where you want to be with the Grizzlies. Uh, last one, what do you think of this Grizzlies team, and do you think the Timberwolves can get it done in six? Uh, well, so number one, I love the Grizzlies team. Um, I, I love their swagger. I love their confidence. They they play together incredibly well. And I, I honestly think this is a Spider-Man meme, meme game. Like these are two young teams that uh, play with a lot of swag, that love to talk trash, that really believe in themselves and are kind of going in trying to make names for themselves again. And so... Um, I think it's going to be an unbelievable series. Um, the, the way that they match up with each other is great. And yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, uh, the Wolves for sure wanted, um, wanted the Grizzlies, not the Suns in this because they believe that they have a chance. The way that the series went this year, it was two to two. There was two really tight games. They won one game by 43 points. I think Carl Anthony Towns always plays better against the Grizzlies, against Steven Adams, against Jaron Jackson Jr. So I do not anticipate that he will have the kind of game that he did against the Clippers. I think he's going to play really well. And yes, I do believe that the Timberwolves can win this series. Uh, this is a game, this is a one that they are going to go into. And it's not like facing a team like Phoenix, who was in the finals last year, who has Chris Paul, Devin Booker, you know, guys who have been through the wars, Jay Crowder. The Grizzlies, for the most part, are very new to this, just like the Wolves are. And so there's not a real advantage for the Grizzlies in terms of playoff experience, in terms of like knowing what that stage feels like. I mean, they were there last year for a minute, but they were bounced quickly. And so um, so that's going to be a, a good thing for the Wolves. I also just think that the way that the Grizzlies play offensively plays a little bit more into the Wolves' hands from a defensive standpoint. And so, yeah, I think that this is a series that can go six or seven games that the Wolves absolutely are going to go in expecting that they can win. And I think that there is a really good chance that they will win it. Well, there you heard, heard it from John Krasinski himself, the Timberwolves. You know, the, the, the line right now is plus 250. I'd say put your money on the Wolves if I'm a if I'm a betting man on betonline.com feel free to do it uh thank thank you john krasinski for joining me on the ron johnson show up next the daily three that's three questions three minutes and we'll be back after this and now it's the daily three that's three questions three minutes take it away sam you got it ron uh this was kind of a big story yesterday the minnesota twins yesterday afternoon on a very cold wednesday afternoon in front of a very small crowd Almost got no hit. Not only was it almost a no hitter, it was almost a perfect game. Clayton Kershaw, the former Cy Young winner for the Dodgers, seven perfect innings, 13 strikeouts, only 80 pitches. He was in great shape. Perfect pitch count management. Uh, one of the best chances I would have ever seen for a pitcher to throw a perfect game. And they pulled him. They pulled him because he was injured last year. It was his first start of the year on a pitch count of sorts. Uh, is pitch count management, Ron, out of control if teams are pulling pitchers when a perfect game is on the line? No. This is the thing about sports, man. This is especially early in baseball. We're talking baseball. This is early. We got a hundred and over 150 games. I think pitchers are going to pitch. You know, a guy like Kershaw is going to, you know, they're going to try to get everything they can out of him. So you're looking at a 20 
you know, when possible type of pitcher. I mean, they're trying to get him the, the to get the most out of him. You got a Dodgers team that have recently won a championship, so they know what it feels like and what it takes to win. Um, in their mind, and, and Kershaw, you know, of course, in the interview, he says all the right things, you know, team first, blah, blah, blah. The thought behind it is, like you said, he has been injured. You don't want to go through that again. When you think about the perfect game, yes, okay, that's something that will live in history. But let's be honest. If you think about the 24 times it has happened, you're not really going to go back and remember all 24 times. You're not going to remember the pitchers that did it. You're not going to remember, who, especially if they did it against the Twins on a 7 nothing blowout, probably even more, you know, who knows? I mean, it, who knows where it would have went, but on a seven nothing win, I don't think that's something that, you know, when I'm 60, I'm going to look back like, man, remember that time, you know, Kershaw threw a no hitter against the twins. No, cause it, it didn't matter. Now if it's in the playoffs or later in the season and they're doing it to clinch, uh, you know, it's, this is game, you know, 140. I get it, but this early in the season, you don't want to do that and possibly hurt him this early and then ruin your chances for a chance to win the world series. Like, they think they're everybody thinks they're contenders in baseball because everybody is it, you know it's all about who gets that bat the bats hot first um and who can sustain it uh who you know kind of has the chemistry early to make some of these double plays and you know some of you know the catcher shortstop relationship the outfielders you know talking infielder versus outfielder pitcher catcher all these relationships uh who's who know who's watching the most film or pays attention to who's at bat all the little things that are going to matter that's what baseball is about. And then when you think about um, the fact that baseball, it sometimes can become one of those, you know, um, unwritten rule games, you know, where it gets boring and it gets this. Like you want the superstars to go down the stretch so people are still watching. You know, the minute superstars start going down and these games don't have anything in it, it's about the pitcher. Like whoever has the best pitcher down the stretch is going to be the better team and have the better best chance to win you know, a World Series. And I think that's what the Dodgers are thinking this early on. Again, why why, why risk it for a, a small piece of history that a lot of people really won't remember besides like true baseball historians who will talk about it? Um, he'll get his 15 minutes of fame as far as just the news cycles talking about it over and over. He's going to get the fame now anyway. The fact that they pulled him is still sensational. I think even more fact, because we're going to keep talking. If he threw it, it'd be like, oh, he threw it, no hitter. Let's talk about it. Let's be about it. Boom, done. No, he actually kept it going. So in my opinion, no, I think that was the right move. Yeah, you know, at least with Kershaw, he's got plenty of accolades and plenty of memories in his career where I think he's going to be okay. If this was some minor league call-up who was doing the one good thing that he might ever do in his career and had that taken away, that might be a little different. But Agreed. I think Kershaw has bigger fish to fry, and, and he's he's won World Series. He's obviously uh, he's got a lot of hardware back at home, so I think Correct. that he'll survive this. Um, you mentioned it in the interview with John. The Grizzlies are minus 330 favorites to win the series over the Timberwolves. So for the novices, you got a front $330 to win 100. Timberwolves <laughs> are plus 250. You pay 100 and you get 250. So they're almost three to one underdogs. Where would your money go, Ron Johnson? Well, I'm going to put a dollar down to win 25 bucks on the Timberwolves. No, it's not the minimum. I think the minimum is 100 bucks. But when you think about uh, some of the props in this, you know, I know it's going to be out there, you know, the 
Timberwolves win in six, Timberwolves can win in five, Grizzlies win in four. I'm guessing those are the props that might be out there. Um, I would I would kind of hit heavy on the Timberwolves win in six, but I'm also gonna go overall Timberwolves win plus 250. Give me my money. Like if I put a hundred down, give me my 250. And so when when you think about that, when you think about what possibly can go wrong, well, I think we saw it. Cat not showing up. And we saw D'Angelo Russell and Ant Edwards can do it. The biggest difference is you look at John Morant, you know, he's not the leading scorer as far as overall because he hasn't played. Desmond Bain at 18 and a half or 18.2 points a game has been the guy when he's been out down the stretch. But John Morant overall, we know his 33 minutes leads the team and his 27.4 points leads the team. Well, the big thing about chemistry is a guy comes in, if he's the guy and he's forcing it, can the Grizzlies do enough if Jaw's not on? And I think that's the question mark is if Jaw's not on, can they still get it going? When he's not in the lineup, I think Desmond Bain kind of comes in knowing that. Steven Adams, they come in knowing that. But when he's out there, it's going to force the issue a little bit. But like you said, John Morant is a dunker. He's a slasher. He's powerful, explosive, one of the most explosive players in the NBA. Uh, you got Ant Edwards on the other side, the same. So it's going to be a battle of the explosive guards. Um, it's going to be a battle of who can hit the most open shots because I think when you look at Carl Anthony Towns, the way he got double teamed, you look at um, Ann Edwards, when he drives now, I know teams are saying we got to close out faster. We can't hesitate and, and go to the wrong guy. We can't ro over-rotate. I think that's what happened on that down-the-lane dunk. They over-rotated, and Ann Edwards caught it right away and realized, like, hey, there's nobody rotating to me, and he went. Um, that's going to be the, the thing about the Grizzlies, and I, I honestly think on a seventh seed coming off of the way they did, uh, if they had not celebrated, I would say there's no pressure. But the fact that they celebrated the way they did, unfortunately, in sports, now there's added eyes and pressure because if they lose, people are going to go back to the celebration and the back that back to you know the joke about man they 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 overdid it they 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 should have been prepared mentally they weren't they're still worried about the Clippers and they're still drinking champagne. Um, they added a little pressure, but but again, it's always going to be on the higher seed. I think. The Grizzlies have more pressure because people don't believe they truly are a two seed. The, the NBA changes so fast, and I, I think we're seeing that. There's no more LeBron at the top right now. Um, there's a change of guard, uh, and we're seeing it. John Morant is one of the superstars now, uh, along with uh, Giannis. You got Devin Booker, and so that's kind of, and then Steph Curry, of course. And so we're, we're seeing what the future of the NBA, and now Ann Edwards gets a chance to get on the stage, and he said when the big lights are there, he's going to put on a show. So now's his time, but I'm putting my money on the Timberwolves. What about you? Yeah, there's no way I'm laying minus 330 on a team as inexperienced as Memphis, especially with Ja coming off the, the injury. Uh, I absolutely would, would lay money on the Wolves. My worry is offensive glass. Memphis cleans up offensive rebounding, number one in the league. And I worry about the Wolves at the rim. I mean, they really struggled against the Clippers when they were met at the rim. And the Grizzlies are number one in blocks. In the NBA, they're going to have a rim presence. They're big. They're physical. Uh, the Wolves are going to have to match their physicality for sure. Uh, next topic, Justin Jefferson said on Tuesday that Kevin O'Connell is already showing him ways that he can get him open like Cooper Cup in L.A. So, Ron, can Justin Jefferson put up the Cooper Cup type numbers next year with the Vikings? Yes. This is the thing about a coach when it's his offense. 
He is going to make sure the quarterback knows everything he needs to do within his offense. Uh, you saw Jared Goff do it and get them to the big game with Jared Goff. And Jared Goff is good, but we saw in Detroit with a anemic offense, Jared Goff cannot just put up big numbers without a guy helping him out, which was the Rams and Sean McVay and his offense and his, his mindset. Kevin O'Connell watched the way Sean McVay got this done. Kevin O'Connell watched the way Sean McVay operated. He's going to do the same thing with Kirk Cousins. He's going to be in Kirk Cousins' ear. He's going to have lunch with Kirk, dinner with Kirk, breakfast with Kirk, snacks. Like he's going to, they might spend the night, late night in the hotel room. Uh, you know, one of those, you know, it might be a report from somebody. Oh, there was a report. Kevin O'Connell was coming out of Kirk Cousins room at 1 a.m. Like Kevin O'Connell is going to do everything he needs to do to make sure Kirk Cousins feels loved, feels appreciated, feels taken care of. I look at the commercial with Matt Stafford and he's talking about trading in his cell phone. And when, when he says it, it's a joke, but he's like, oh, so I can trade my phone in that I've had for 12 years, even though I loved it and it was great for me, but I can get a brand new phone and get more out of it. And the lady looks and he winks because he's talking about himself with the Lions and then going to the Rams. He loved the Lions, did everything he could do with the Lions. But then when he went to the Rams, it's like a new phone. It's the iPhone 15, you know, and he's now with the Rams and he sees like all these new apps and all the new stuff he can do and FaceTime with double time and face chat and all this stuff. Like that's what Kevin O'Connell is going to do for Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. He's going to show him the way. He's going to make sure that the defense, he's going to help him figure out the defense. Sean McVay did a great job of helping Jared Goff because they did like a check with me. What happens is they come to the line of scrimmage with about 20 to 25 seconds to go. So it's a loose huddle. You don't have to hurt, you know, you don't have to huddle for 15 seconds. You get to the line and then you check with the coach to make sure, hey, yep, this is the exact, we're in the right play. Or he'll say whatever wristband or whatever. And then that because the mic hasn't been cut off as long as you're not at the line of scrimmage, it's kind of a loose huddle at the line, but you're not there yet. Then he can kind of mess with it and say, okay, check your band is this or hey, here's the, the signal call change. Um, and, and with that kind of stuff, you know, like you said, he wants Kirk Cousins to have autonomy of this offense. He wants Kirk Cousins to understand this offense. And what that means is if you pick wrong, Justin Jefferson is going to kill you. And then you still have Odell Beckham, you still have Van Jefferson, you still have Robert Woods. And so you think about, you know, uh, Adam Thielen and uh, K.J. Osborne, like they're going to get theirs. Uh, Irv Smith as the tight end, I think he's a lot more explosive and faster than Tyler Higby. He's not bigger, but he's a lot more explosive. He can be used as a fourth receiver, third receiver in his offense and, and a guy that can really stretch the field from a tight end perspective. But but there's so much that this offense can do that Kevin O'Connell is going to do for Justin Jefferson, and that's why he's excited about it, and I totally agree. It's going to happen. Yeah, you know what the difference was last year between Jefferson's stats and Cup's stats? It seems like a lot. It's, you know, 30-plus receptions, 300-plus yards. If you break that down over 17 games, it's like two catches and 20 yards per game. You don't think that they can find him an extra two catches and 20 yards if they just don't run the ball on second and 12 a million times and throw those to Jefferson instead, I think that's actually pretty realistic uh, when you break it down like that. No doubt. Uh, running out of time, real quick reaction to our bonus question. Derek Carr signed an extension worth three years, $121 million. Is Carr worth that contract in your mind? 
Yes, he got him to the playoffs. He has Devontae Adams now, so I think he's going to be even better. But you look at the contract-wise, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Derek Carr, then Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott, and then Kirk Cousins. So one, Kirk Cousins, $35 million a year, is getting pushed down further and further. He's now tied with Russell Wilson at 35 Jared Goff got 33 So if you don't think Kirk Cousins is better than Jared Goff, you're an idiot. And then if you think about where Derek Carr is at $40 million a year. I think that's kind of the right number. I mean, you look at everybody else around him. Tom Brady's all the way down. We know it's one year and he's 50 years old, but it's $25 million guaranteed. Now, the guarantee is where it changes. Deshaun Watson, all of it, 230. Aaron Rodgers, 101. Josh Allen, 100. Dak, 95. Matt Ryan, 94. Kirk Cousins, way at the bottom, $35 million guaranteed. That's it right now. Then you look at Tom Brady. He's not even on this list. Tom Brady was like way down another 20 people from Kirk Cousins. So Derek Carr in this, same thing. Derek Carr doesn't have as much guarantee as these guys. And I think that's what's going to change. When you when you look at Derek Carr's guarantee right now, fully guaranteed, is only $24 million. So I think he's worth it. Like now there might be some new language that comes out in this contract as it grows, because this is kind of the early like reporting of it. And we know the language is not completely done. And we know all the, the, the bells and whistles aren't completely done. So maybe they'll add some guarantees in there. But at the moment, he's under $25 million guaranteed. So this is a, you got to earn this money. And I think his agent knows with Devontae Adams, he's going to earn it. So no, I don't think this is a bad number for him. I, I think he's right where he should be. Yeah, I think Carr gets overlooked in that division with Russell and Mahomes and Herbert, but I think he's underrated. He's one of those guys that has some intangibles, throws a good deep ball, and I like having him at the end of a game with the game on the line. I think he's got that clutch gene. Yeah, well, that'll do it for the Ron Johnson Show. I want to thank you guys for joining me. I'm your host, Ron Johnson. We had John Krasinski on, of course. We talked about Gluegate, so make sure you download and subscribe on YouTube to the to the Locked On Sports Minnesota, search the Ron Johnson Show, or you can also subscribe and listen to wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for joining. And have a great day.